0: Kindred Church is a Christian community gathering in Reno, Nevada. We employ a dialogical teaching style, but for the sake of privacy, we remove the participants' responses from the recording. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about the church and for our service time, location, and virtual gathering options, visit kindredchurchreno.com. It's a pretty humbling and weighty thing to stand in front of a group of people and say, I understand this, and I know who Jesus and God are, and I— have something to say about the plan of God to save the world, Um, especially um, as one of our friends here said, this is kind of like the Super Bowl of uh, church services, I guess. But um, I just want to start by saying that, you know, I actually don't have all the things figured out, but here's what's amazing. Jesus has granted me authority as his follower to actually represent him in this world and to talk about him and to share what I know. Um, The Bible talks about that Jesus gives us access into the things that angels long to peer into. These are the mysteries of what God's plan was through Jesus and for all time. And we have that benefit of getting to see into that mystery. Um, but I think of this a bit as like a parent. So my children, you saw some of them earlier with me today, they are, for better or worse, a representation of me to some extent out in this world. And I'm very proud of them and I love them. But if you asked Arlo or Milo to like explain who or how I am as a parent or why we set up our family the way that we do or why we sing songs at night before they go to bed. They might be able to give you like something of an answer, but it probably wouldn't be the fullness of the intention that Ronnie and I have put into crafting our family into what we're, how we're treating them and how we want them to grow up. and that's kind of the same way that God trusts me to be a representative of God here on earth. Um, I can't probably capture the fullness of God's intention and of this you know, invisible, immortal, almighty God and what God's intention and plan for the world is, but I can represent to some extent. And, and here's what's amazing. The knowledge gap or wisdom between me and my children is really dwarfed in comparison to that gap between me and God. And yet, he still allows me to participate in this uh, resurrection, restoration, life after death here on earth. And so I'm really grateful and just going to humbly offer my reflections today with all of you. Is that okay? Okay, great. So we're going to start with um, what's the mystery and the wonder of resurrection. Um, So some of you know, I've talked about this before. I actually raised the dead for a living. I'm a cardiologist. I focus on cardiac arrest. So I actually have brought the dead back to life. Anyone else? No. <laughs> but like... Three minutes dead only, right? Not three days dead. <laughs> I can actually tell you all the cellular mechanisms of what's going on and the different phases of when someone's heart has stopped. So I understand that mystery. But I don't fully understand the mystery of how like the cosmos and the universe shifted and, and what altered um, in nature when Jesus came back from the dead. But here's what's so cool. The outcome of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and defeating death does not depend upon my knowledge, or my understanding, just in the same way that it doesn't depend upon my goodness or my efforts. If you've been around church, we talk a lot about how we couldn't be good enough, and so that's why Jesus died for us, to make a way for us to God. And so I think we're comfortable to say that Jesus, the outcome of what he did, restoration of me with God, doesn't depend upon my goodness or my efforts. But I also really love that it doesn't depend upon my understanding or my comprehension. Um, not that not that we cannot seek to understand God because he wants to be known by us, but rather, even if I don't fully understand or comprehend it, the outcome is still there. So I think that's really, really good news. So with all of those prefaces, we're going to actually talk today about um, the women of resurrection. So the women in this story um, leading up to and then after Jesus' death and resurrection. I'm choosing that for a couple of reasons. First, I'm a woman, and so when I read these stories, I sort of automatically gravitate towards their experiences. Um, Second, Herrick Kindred, we value all voices, and we think all voices are there to bring glory to God and to share his story. And sometimes, historically, women's voices have been marginalized. And one of the things we care passionately about is marginalized voices being heard and being an important part in the kingdom of God. But then I think most importantly, I want to know what I can learn from the reactions of these women to Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to start in Mark 12. If you could put up that scripture, please, Sean. And we're going to talk about, in the, in the midst of all of this, this is leading up to Jesus' death. So when I was talking about them being in the temple, it really was like the mall at Christmas time. There's transactions going on. People are there in Prada to look good and to strut their stuff. Kind of all walks of life are gathered there in preparation for this big feast and festival that's coming. And In the midst of all of this, um, we read this story about this widow. So um, The Bible says that Jesus sat down opposite the treasury in the temple, began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. But a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to one penny. And calling his disciples, he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they put in from their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned and all that she had to live on. There's some remarkable things here. This is not a flashy woman. She is of no consequence in their society. She's a widow. She has no social standing. She has no um, husband to give her social standing. So she's not the person that you notice. She's not wearing the Prada or carrying all the bags at the mall. She's literally someone that everyone else would overlook. And in the midst of the craziness of the temple and what's going on, he sees her isn't that powerful to be seen, to be radically seen? And not only does he just notice her, he sees her intention to connect to God. She brought everything she had because that's the one way that she knew she could connect to God. Let me come and give something of myself. And that's what was in her heart to do. It's the one thing she knew how to do. And she literally gave everything that she had out of a desire to connect to and be near God. And he, he sees and honors and values that. And you notice that in scripture, we're really not talking about a lot of the people who were there to do the flashy things. You know, thousands of years later, we're talking about her because Jesus saw her and recognized her. And even if the contribution she had to give was small in terms of the financial ramifications of what could be done with it, it was that intention of I'm giving everything I have to God that he honored and that we learn from today. Um, the next one I want to talk about is the woman who anoints Jesus with perfume in Mark 14. Um, so this is happening not yet at the Passover feast, but this is a whole week of Jesus and his friends and followers being together. So this is at one of the meals that they're sharing during this week. Um, so in Mark 14, we read about her. What was my reference? Three to two, nine. Okay. Um, So while Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. Anyone wearing nard today by Gucci? No? Okay. (laughs) I don't know what nard smells like, but I guess probably good. Uh, She broke the vial and poured it over his head. And some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? This perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii. I don't know how much that is, but a lot. And the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a good deed to me. For the poor you always have with you. And whatever you want, you can do them good. But you do not always have me she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial and truly i say to you wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world that also which this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her this is another example of a woman wanting to come and be near to jesus and Again, not exactly knowing what to do, but knowing I have this perfume, and I I want to give this to him. I want to bring my best, and I want to bless him with it. This sacrifice of her is kind of both extravagant and lowly at the same time. In one of the other scriptures, it talks about how she pours this perfume over his head, and then she washes his feet with her hair. And in this time, people walked around with sandals or barefoot in dust and dirt and cow dung and sheep dung. And the washing of feet is not only symbolically very lowly, but it's also actually pretty disgusting. And I I mean, I like my hair and I would not really willingly want to you know, wash cow dung off of someone's feet with it, I would probably try to find a rag. Um, but again, we see this sort of outpouring of her that on the one hand, I have this very expensive, costly thing, and I just want to give it to Jesus. I just want to bless him. I want to do something for him out because I'm so grateful and I love him so much. And on the other hand, this very humble uh, moment. Now, I'm a kind of tend towards the side of extravagant, um, and so I like that. <laughs> but I also really understand how the disciples are like, wait a second, if we just do the math of this, that perfume could have done a lot more good in the world. Um, it's a. I understand that because it's a high value for me and for my husband to to give of what we have financially and with time and serving and otherwise, and especially because there's so much injustice in this world and so much of poverty is linked to all the injustice in this world, we really appreciate and value um, that's one way to serve God is by giving, but this teaches us, I think in my mind, I somehow maybe thought that's the best or the highest use of costly perfume would be sell it and then use that money to give to the poor. That resonates with me in terms of like a value scheme. This teaches me that that's not the only or even the best way to serve God. There are so many different expressions of how we can be near to Jesus and serve him and bless him and follow him. So it doesn't have to be, you need to sell it and give to the poor, but it can be. And he... Jesus himself said, when you clothe the naked, when you feed the hungry, when you visit someone in jail, you're doing that to me. So he has explicitly instructed us to do that. And even here he says, whenever you want, you can go ahead and do that. But there's also this very personal, very intimate, very extravagant, but also lowly expression of this woman of how to serve and love Jesus. And that teaches me that, again, there are so many different ways that we can seek to connect to God. But I think the theme between these two women is they took what they had. Is what you have musical talent? Is what you have love for children? Is what you have a home to open to others? They took what they had, and they brought all of it to Jesus out of a desire to really bless and honor and value him. I also love that story because I think it's a spa day in the middle of everything else, right? (laughs) It's like a wonderful perfume, and I like a spa day. That feels great. I would be blessed by a spa day, and so was Jesus in his earthly form. Now we're going to turn to looking at um, the women going to the tomb to finish the burial rites of Jesus. So we're going to actually look at this account in um, Luke 24. just happened to like how he wrote it best. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed and confused about this, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. I like that too. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember, he spoke this to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned to the tomb from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. And also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. There's a lot to unpack here and think about this. Um, So caring for a body that's been, I guess, 48 hours or so dead at this point is probably not a pleasant task. I was actually surprised when I was studying for this to find that um, Joseph of Arimathea, whose tomb Jesus was laid in and then Nicodemus, who was one of the religious leaders who actually followed and believed in Jesus, when they took his body, they actually did do some preparations. One um, scripture says they brought a hundred pounds of spices. So it wasn't like they just tossed him in. Oh, well, days over. Let's go. They had, you know, sort of attempted to honor Jesus in this, but it wasn't finished. And so these women, it was probably their role and their task in society to do this preparation of the body. Um, I don't know if they knew or really comprehended what they were about to be a part of, or like the cosmic significance of what they were about to witness and, and be part of in recorded history for all time. I, I think they were just confused and afraid and heartbroken, but they wanted to be near Jesus even in his death. They came to grieve and mourn and they came to do the only thing that they knew how to do at that moment, which was at least we can try to honor him in his death by preparing his body and loving him even in his death. And as they come there, they find this empty tomb, and their first reaction is like really confused, even though Jesus had told them very specifically this is going to happen. But like if you're sitting having a meal, and suddenly he's like, by the way, going to die, no stones in the temple will remain together, going to rise again, what's your context for understanding that or knowing what's going to happen? So even though he had told them, I think they still didn't fully comprehend, Right, harkening back to what I said at the beginning of this, that comprehension isn't necessary for the power of resurrection. So first they're confused and then they're afraid. I think that's a very reasonable thing to be in this moment. Um, And then the angel, or maybe two, I love what they say. They say, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember, he told you this would happen. So first of all, they did remember and they're like, yes, we're going to go and tell everyone even though we're kind of scared. This is really important. This is like really important theologically because women were the first who were entrusted to preach the gospel. Can I get an amen for that, right? Women were the first ones who were invited to share the good news of Jesus. And to this day, all people, including women, are instructed, qualified, and invited to share this good news of resurrection in the world. Yes? Yes. If we remember nothing else, that's what I want to share today. Um, But let's come back to what what the angels said. They said, why do you seek the living among the dead? So again, I imagine these women didn't know what was going on. They weren't there like, time for the resurrection. Let's see it. They were just like, this is the only thing we know to do. But they were seeking God. That is so powerful and so important because they didn't know. They weren't sure, but they did know they wanted to be near him. They wanted to seek Jesus. They wanted to find out more, and they wanted to, yeah, to seek him even though they were looking in the wrong place because he wasn't there. That's so instructive and hopeful for me that even when I don't have it all figured out, or maybe I've got it wrong, or I'm changing my mind, or I'm coming to a fresh understanding, if I am constantly seeking, who are you? What are you? What are you in this world? How can I know you more? That's the place where we find resurrection and where we find life is in seeking after God. So because they were seeking Him and wanting to be near Him and wanting to serve and love Him in the only way they had left, do you see a theme of what I'm talking about today? They got to be the first people entrusted with this powerful fulfillment of all Scripture. So like generations of people, this whole book is full of people wanting to understand God's story. And the prophets are full of what, how God will fulfill this and how God will bring redemption to this earth. And here they were, probably uneducated women in this little backwater town of Galilee, and they got to be the first ones because they were seeking, they were wanting, they were there to serve and love God. They got to witness this miraculous resurrection of Jesus that changed everything for all of time. And and even though they witnessed it and they literally saw it in that moment, this moment that we have spent a lot of us, our lives and generations have spent trying to understand. They were there, they saw it, and they were still confused, and they were still perplexed, they were still afraid, and yet the power of that moment of resurrection did not depend upon their knowledge or their understanding, their goodness, or their efforts. God, in kindness, allowed them to be part of sharing this incredible good news, and so God, in kindness, allows us to be part of sharing that incredible news. And so now we are invited to bear witness to this life-altering power of Jesus. He defeated death. He brings life after death, my very favorite thing. And he negated the consequences of our wrongdoing, We know we all know that when we do things to hurt one another in conversation or actions, if you're in relationship with anyone, you know that you can cause separation through your wrongdoing. (laughs) It happens every day, all the time. And like marriage is just constantly getting back towards that connection, right? All relationships are. So it makes sense, right, that we needed something. We it makes sense that our wrongdoing separates us from God and from others. And so Jesus came to negate those wrongdoings, and to bring us back together with God. He literally came to remove all the barriers to us being connected with God. So it makes so much sense of why he was so angry in the temple at the people who were putting financial barriers between people and God, because he came to remove all of those barriers so that we can be connected to and in relationship with God. So as we seek him, as we serve him, as we love him and give whatever we have, pennies, perfume, spices from our surplus or from our poverty, we get to be witness to his miraculous life, be part of this story of resurrection, resurrection, restoration, and redemption, because he made this way for us to be reconciled. I'm going to end with um, not my words, but someone else's, that um, really came alive for me as I became a mother myself and was responding to a crying infant in the night. Um, This is the idea of God as our mother. So also, in a sense, woman or feminine. And these are words of Sarah Bessie, who is talking about um, what happened in this moment that of um, resurrection power and how that helps us understand God. This is not just, though, for someone who's responded to a crying child in the middle of the night, be you mother, father, parent, friend, uncle, aunt, whatever. It's also... <coughs> for all of us who know what it's like to be a child or to have longing and to want that comfort that we can get from a parent. So I'm um, just leaving you with these words. I'm here. Shh, sh, sh, sh. You're not alone. It's okay. I'm here. It makes me emotional. Sorry. <laughs> with those words, I lift my crying baby up and out of his darkness. He's not aware of where he fits in life, but I know just where he is. I'm never far from him. Even though to this infant mind, I've disappeared every time that I'm not in his line of sight. But that's not true. So when he wakes up, or when he's lonely, or when he's hungry, or just wants someone to hold him to calm his heart, he cries out and I quickly rush to him. I lift him up into my arms. Shh, 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 I'm here. It's okay. You're not alone. I've got you. In the gospel, we're told that the moment when Jesus cried out and gave up his spirit, the moment that he died, the veil in the temple symbolically stood between God and man, this entrance to the Holy of Holies was torn in two, from top to bottom. There is no barrier between us anymore. The Holy of Holies is open to us all, and it's not because of anything we did or didn't do. Because this was rescue, this was redemption, this was the death that made death die. This was the moment when all of creation was redeemed as Jesus swept into the domain of death and hell, suffering and sickness, sin and horror to cure us and then to rise again victorious, Christus Victor. And when I think of that veil being torn from the top to the bottom, now I imagine God sweeping into the world like a mother to her crying child in the darkness with all that physical yearning, gathering us up out of our loneliness and our hunger our longing, and our needs to whisper, I'm here. I'm here. You're not alone. I'm here. I've got you. We hope you enjoyed what you just heard. Kindred Church is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you find value in the ministry of Kindred Church and would like to contribute to our efforts, visit kindredchurchreno.com to donate. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email kindredchurchreno at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.